Hi there. This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's word and the ministry of the Spirit. Glory to Jesus. Any testimonies this week of what you did with the teaching you're receiving? You've been counting your abilities and then you began to put it to good use and then you're seeing some results. You're seeing some, some outcome that is favorable. Anyone? 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 Okay. <laughs> I can see Rosemary. Any other person? Any other person? Okay. Quickly, can you step outside and um, share? Let's have a mic. <laughs> Thank you. All right, very quickly. Okay, good morning, church. Good morning. Um, it's just one thing. So, um, counting my abilities from last, like, two Sundays ago. Okay. So, out of the numerous abilities, <laughs> I, I know that I can talk. So, um, I had an event that I attended yesterday. So, and then we've been praying for like three months plus just for the event. So on the last day of the prayer, they're just talking and then I said, can you send the program? I'll just love to compare for you. Look, you don't have to pay anything. I'll just compare for you. And yesterday, I compared. Amazing, amazing, amazing. So good. Thank you for sharing, Rosemary. Go ahead, Fethi Okay, so um, I know I have many abilities, but um, there's just something that I had not paid attention to. Apparently, my mom, mom has been paying attention to it, and during the course of the week, somebody called me to help them shop for some things, and I actually enjoy shopping a lot, but for some reasons, I just don't do it often. So when I told her about it, she was like, ah, you can do it now, just give the person the budget and all of that, and... It was interesting. Normally, I would get back home really tired, but I was tired, but I was still eager to do it again. And I was like, wow, this is me actually putting my abilities to work. And I just remember the teaching, and I'm like, wow, I didn't even know that I had this. And yeah. she had she referred me, and I've been getting referrals, and wow. I'm just really grateful to God. Awesome. 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 Lewis, okay, let's have you quickly. <laughs> Morning, church. Um, I've realized that I have a lot of abilities. And I think for a long time, it's been a problem, actually, because I do a lot of things at the same time without actual focus on my greater strengths, I would say. But um, during the course of the, of the week, I find myself that one of my greatest abilities is influence. I'm able to influence the people greatly that I communicate with. And I always just thought about it like it's just a thing that people say. A lot of people say, wow, you've got great charisma. You are this, you are that. And I'm like. <laughs> but, so I'm intentionally using this right now, because I, I, where I live, it's not the greatest of places. You wouldn't think that I live there. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Yeah, so I'm, I'm using, I'm honing that influence and I'm using it for the people that are not normally the people that you would expect. I mean, you would expect a Christian to relate with everybody. But now I'm intentionally focused on using my influence to sort of, you know, bring those people into Christ. Thank God. Amazing, 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 amazing. So good, so good. Praise the Lord. Can we have one more person, if there is? One more person, anyone? You see, these things we share help our faith. They build our faith. Faith is a mutual business. It's not a one-man business, a mutual business. There are some things that Paul increases in when it comes to fellowship with the people. Paul, the Paul, the Apostle Paul. There are some things that he cannot get in isolation. He comes to the gathering of God's people and then he's, his faith is developed. It's blessed. It's, it's grown. The blessing is mutual. It's not one-sided. And that's, that's what I'd like us to just have in mind today. And of course, as we go across the landscape of our week and for the rest of the year there's still a lot god wants to reveal through you help you know don't assume that you have excavated all there is to you you have not explored everything yet your movie is still in motion all right so just expect to see new dimensions sometimes god will see, you know there's this <laughs> there's this old fable of a king and his daughter Alright, a very beautiful daughter, the most beautiful girl in the entire realm, and the king wanted to find a suitable husband for her. You may have heard the story. And the king called for a competition and said, whoever is able to swim across the Nile filled with crocodiles, alright, is going to be the one to marry his daughter because he needs a brave man to marry his daughter. And then suddenly they saw a guy jump in and then he was swimming dodging all the crocodiles and then just doing spider-man under the water <laughs> and then he got out of the other hand and everybody was hailing him wow fantastic this guy has won he has won <laughs> and he looked back and said who pushed me <laughs> so he didn't get into that position voluntarily and he would never have credited himself with the ability to swim across the Nile, dodging all those, you know, predators. But somebody pushed him. And honestly, when it comes to our destiny, we always need a push. Always. We always need somebody to push us into territories that we would not have given ourselves credit to thrive in. You need, like I said last week, a spiritual leader that will see a grace in you that you may not see in yourself. Like your mom that would say, you can do this thing. Go and shop. You can do it. You can talk. Like we had to compare P-Mike's wedding. Praise God. In-house. <laughs> Praise God. All right? And it all starts, you know, when you're actively using your gift in small contexts. And then it continues to grow. It continues to grow. You must count your ability. Praise the name of the Lord. So let's, let's appreciate God for all our abilities. Not just for the testimonies we've heard today that this god they create this god that we serve he does a very good job at putting abilities in us abilities so we give him glory and honor every journey into increase begins with gratitude every journey into increase i had the privilege of sharing some of my um, thoughts with a pioneer of a ministry just over the weekend 
and she just started a church and she wants to grow it and she's asked me for counsel and one of the first things I told her was that you need to be grateful for the ones you have the 18 members the 15 members give thanks for them love them preach to them preach your heart out to them never complain around them they are not the problem it could have been worse if you didn't have a member now you have 15 and you're like why are they not 70 why are they not 100 how about the 15 in front of you give thanks that's how your your gift also grows Jesus did not say, what is this among so many? Like his disciples said, he gave thanks. For the five loaves and two fish, it seemed very ridiculous and foolish. But therein lied the multiplication of those five loaves and two fish in feeding the 5,000. It is ingratitude. So that little thing you think is not significant is the jawbone of an ass. God can use it to rot mighty works. That one thing you can do. That one thing you can do, thank God. And as you thank God, as you zoom in on it, it continues to increase. It continues to expand. And then that little thing that you're using to serve only your household and your family members, you can serve your street, you can serve your community, you can serve your county, you can serve your nation, you can serve Africa, you can serve the world on the strength of that one thing. Because you continue to give thanks for it. And you were very grateful to God for blessing you with such a gift. That's how you should zoom in on your gifts. Don't discount it, belittle it, disregard it because it looks so small, so meager relative to the magnitude of the problem that you are trying to solve. If you will give thanks, it will grow. It will, it will, it will. And as we go on in the teaching today, by the grace of God, we'll just zoom in a little into the parable of the talents. Amen. We'll zoom in a little into that particular parable, a very profound parable, powerful story of a man who traveled bible says to a far country all right and he had three servants that he gave specific gifts according to their respective abilities and you would realize why he gave them the kind of abilities he gave them because of their eventual output and products all right or productivity as you may want to call it and so he calls the three of them and he gave them one to five he gives he gave one five he gave another two and then he gave one one and the Bible says he went away. He didn't, he didn't tell them how long he was going to go for. He just went away. And, you know, um, after a long time, the Bible says he returned. And then he asked for accountability. You would account for what he gave you. Not for what you used. You would account for what he gave you. So it is, it behooves on you to expect to the latter every single thing God has placed in you because he will ask for accountability on what he gave you he will he will and so he comes and he asks for these guys to give an account an account of what they had used the talents that they were giving for and the first guy just goes straight to report he goes straight to what he did with it and he said sir you gave me five now I have five more and he said, wow, fantastic, well done, faithful and good servant. Enter into your father's or into your master's joy. And then you have been faithful in little. And then much more will be committed into your hands. And then the guy with two came and gave the exact same thing. You gave me two. I have two more. And then the last guy came and we see a very different approach to his reporting. Instead of him to say, you know what? You gave me one. I don't have any extra one. Take. You know, he didn't do, do that. He explained. You either have results or you have explanations. You can have both. This guy with his 
lack of productivity was explanation so when you see someone who is always explaining why they didn't get a job done you are seeing that guy in the profile of the third steward they will come and tell you why it couldn't work in nigeria they'll come and tell you why it couldn't work in this part of lagos mainland no ah, real estate in mainland is not is not the thing <laughs> no i'm not i'm not trained i'm not trained jives <laughs> I know a certain real estate um, guru in the house who, who loves the island. <laughs> but you get my point. They, they, they always question the environment. They question everybody else but themselves. They will tell you that the reason why it didn't work. In fact, if you tried it in my stead, you would get worse results. That's what they will tell you. That In fact, I tried. You should be grateful that I was able to give this much returns. And so the first thing you notice is that he had an explanation. There was an explanation to his dysfunction. There was an explanation to his lack of productivity. There was an explanation to his fruitlessness. Never get comfortable rationalizing failures. Never. Never get to that point where you think, you know what, it is justifiable why I failed. No, it's not justifiable. Now, you're not immune to failing, but you must not get settled in it and feel comfortable in it and say, you know what, if any other person was in this shoes, they would have failed more. So I'm the best among the failures. Stop rationalizing dysfunction. This guy sat down there and instead of him to just give his report, let the master even judge. He gave explanation because he knew something is wrong with that type of result. Because the explanation was designed to justify the result. Because something in him told him that the way you are producing these results, you cannot report it with your full chest to the person that gave it to you. And so there has to be an explanation to justify every dysfunction. And that's why he had explanation. Others had no explanation. Did you notice? They just reported their results. This guy, instead of just reporting his results, he began to report his result with summary. Executive summary, you know, literature review. He began to explain. <laughs> and by the time we see the content of his explanation, we see why he was dysfunctional. And those are the things we're going to be exploring today by the grace of God. So you would see that it's the state of his mind that produced the work of his hands. You cannot grow beyond your mental capacity to produce results. You can't. You can't. You can't. Inside every single one of us is a seed of greatness. And I'm speaking to each and every one of us individually. I may be teaching right now to the church, but I'm speaking to you directly. So you listen to it with your heart. Inside of you is the seed of greatness. But that seed of greatness is in your spirit. God has called you a certain name. God has made you renowned. God has called you something to the ends of the earth. He has declared a name over you. He has called you something called the city of God. Great things have been spoken concerning you. But it is locked up in your spirit. The Bible says, what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of man that is in him. So your spirit knows exactly the dimensions of your destiny. It knows how far you should go in life. It knows where you should live. It knows who you should marry. It knows all the dimensions of your life from beginning to the end. Your spirit is not unaware. Your spirit knows. Your spirit knows. The challenge most of the time is the bridge between the spirit realm and the realm of performance, which is the physical realm, where we live. And the bridge is your mind. That bridge is your mind. Your mind is either a bridge or a dam. It's either a bridge that translates the power 
powerful eternal essence locked up in your spirit and makes them tangible experiences on the face of the earth or it dumps it right there and you die as a dam full of goodies but nobody ever saw it reflected in your life because your mind was faulty there was something about what you believed there was something faulty about the way you reckoned things there was something faulty about how you thought and the bible says the way a man thinks in his heart that is how he is you are not an improvement on your thought process everything around you is a reflection of a feedback of the state of your mind and so when we see the result of the hands of this steward we see what produced it we saw that was his mindset the way he thought was dysfunctional the way he thought was dysfunctional so the seed of greatness in your spirit requires the bridge of your mind to translate it into the physical realm because you see the seed must be planted in a soil and the soil is your soul the seed is in your spirit but the soil in which it must be planted is your soul if something is wrong with your soil it will look like your seed is not viable but the problem is not with the seed the problem is with the soil that you planted it in your spirit is loaded with possibilities god has declared some things that are irreversible over you bible says concerning your destiny forever oh god his word over your life is settled and it is forever settled nobody from hell can twat it however your mind can limit it your mind can limit the expression of the glory of god upon your life when god wants to give you a nation you're like is this kiosk not enough and god is like where do i want to start from with you and so god who has a sea a vast sea to offer you but you come with a hand how does he want to begin with you because if he pours and drenches you with the sea all you will have is still a handful and so the first thing he does is to send you back to go and get your tanker and so before he gives you anything his generosity has the risk of being wasted if he does not expand the boundaries of your mind first your mind is the container that hosts the power of god that hosts the essence of god in your life if your mind is too small everything god did will be reduced to your capacity and so before he blesses you you first go and expand your mind first so when you come back and he pours all his ocean blessing on you you can host it to the degree of your capacity but he has an ocean to give but you came with your hand you came with your hand so your mind is the infrastructure that hosts or leaks the blessing if your mind is not transformed by the word of god you will be the reason for all the dysfunctional results you are having in your life because they ask this guy give your own report and he begins to explain you can have explanation or you can have results but you cannot have both you can't have both these guys came gave results and they were good and they were promoted this guy came and started to explain and so the seed is in your spirit but the soil in which that seed of greatness in your spirit will be planted is in your soul and when your soul does not have the requisite information it will deem the power of your spirit do you remember our lanterns back then you see the weak is your spirit that weak that is lit that is the candle of your spirit the bible says the spirit of man is the candle of the lord that what 
searches the inward part of the belly a couple of weeks ago we did a strong exegesis on that if you listen to the bushes and hills you will get a lot more expansion on what i'm sharing here so that spirit is the candle of the lord and so remember that lantern so that week that is lit is your spirit man but when the shade that shade when it is not well cleaned no matter how light how much light and fire is burning inside the light everyone will experience around them will still be dimmed to the extent of the shade it is the shade that gives expression to the brightness of the light inside the lantern. And nobody's light in their lanterns is more lit than another. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Your light is no more lit than mine. The difference is our shade. The difference is that, that shield that covers that light. Because without that shield, there will be no expression on the earth. Because remove that shield and that fire dies. So you need your mind to translate the possibilities in your spirit to tangible expressions on the face of the earth. And so your own light is not more lit than mine. God did not light some candles to be, bright, to, to be brighter than others. The spirit of every man is the candle of the Lord. And God lights them all the same. The challenge is the mind in which that spirit is trapped. And when that spirit is trapped in a very dusty, hazy mind, it will look like the lantern is not lit. So what you believe is affecting your results much more than your hard work. Did you realize that the work he did may have been more than the traders? He went to dig. If I give you trader work and digging work, which one will you choose? So it is not that this guy could not dig. He could dig. He, he, he carried bong bong. He, he dug. He dug. So if it's about digging and working hard, he did it. But his mind was dysfunctional. His mind reduced his results to his thinking. Stinking thinking. And then he began to corrupt his results. So be, see, if you realize that you're getting stressed out and burned out, don't continue working hard. There is something wrong with the thinking. You see, when you are stressed and when you are burned out, it is a feedback to you that you're overcompensating for a lack of strategic thinking. It's a feedback. That you are now overcompensating. So your body is doing more than it's required because your mind has not expanded to a certain level that will subsidize the hard work of the body. So, when you overcompensate with your body, it's because your mind is not working as hard. This is why those that will go far prioritize knowledge over muscles. When you go down the pyramid, you see FTR men. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Don't look around. <laughs> <laughs> praise God did you hear what I just said you must prioritize what happens in between your ears much more than the exertion of your body because this guy still goes out to dig he had the time he went he, he, he did survey where he is least likely to be excavated by any stranger because Bible says for a long time so he didn't just bury it somewhere flippant. He went somewhere that was hidden. He looked for the right spot. He dug. And he dug well. Then he dropped the thing there. And maybe he didn't stray beyond that place. So that he can always provide some security coverage for that space. Can you imagine? Hi. And then we see the problem that this guy had. Three dysfunctional mindsets that we see in this man. Evidently expressed by his explanation to the master. 
Evidently expressed. It was clear. It was clear why this guy was so dysfunctional in his productivity. He explained his thinking. He said, number one, you are a hard man. Wow. Mm. You are a hard man. You see, we live in a generation that cannot afford hard bosses. You may not know it, but it is one of the indicators of having an entitlement mentality. If they gave you what your sloppiness would have produced, you will not collect it. What hard work produces, you don't want hard work to sustain it. If it was your sloppiness that was used to create that multinational company, it won't be called multinational. It will be a local street company. So you go into a place that was brokered on the strength of people's blood and sweat, then you go there and you want to reduce the culture to your preferences emotionally. So you look at a man that has built an empire, you say he's a hard man, but you can, you can collect salary from him. You are collecting salary from his hard-earned money. <laughs> Yet you impugn his character by the same token that is making you survive. By the same token that is sustaining your life, you impugn the character of the person that produced it. You said he's a hard man. You see, we may be guilty of entitlement more than we give ourselves discredit for. <laughs> Are you hearing what I'm saying? Hmm. So let's look at some of the indicators of entitlement mindset. Number one, you expect everything to be soft and for everything to be done for you. These are some of the indicators of an entitlement mentality. You expect everything to be soft. Whenever you face hardness, hardship, difficulty, resistance, something in you feels like this is not fair. Because what is fair to you is that no impute from your end, but all the results should just be smiling at you, landing on your laps. So there is a dysfunctional thinking that, you know what, I don't need to do so much to get so much in return. I don't have to sow to reap. You know, he actually impugned the character of the boss with his exact same dysfunction. Aye. That which, you see, and that, that, that links very much to what we learned on Thursday. He would not judge himself, yet he had the temerity. He saw the speck in the master's eye, yet a beam, a massive beam. Do you know how many specks can be found in a beam? A beam was in his own eyes, yet he conveniently skipped over all the beams. And he saw the speck in his master's eyes. The very thing that he was guilty of was what he projected mm, on his master. So, you expect everything to be done for you. You, are, you expect life to just be soft. Number two, you are incapable of handling a tough and aggressive and ruthless master. Because the word hard man there is simply a tough, aggressive, and ruthless person. <laughs> Number three, you expect authorities to pander to your emotional preferences. You want authorities to protect your emotions and not your future. <laughs> hey... And that is a syndrome we have seen as a pandemic. You see, we may have curtailed the Ebola pandemic. We may have curtailed the COVID-19 pandemic. But there is a mental pandemic that is on, on, at large. It, it is on rampage, especially in some Western civilizations. And it is that whatever you feel must be protected at all costs. Even when you will regret ever making the decisions that those emotions helped you make. 
even when your future will be sabotaged, your feelings must be protected at all costs. And anyone who exalts his feelings above his future, these are the kind of decisions they will make. They will cut off their breasts at teenagers only for them two years down the line to be suicidal. Because your feelings must be affirmed. We cannot afford to tell you you are thinking wrong. You, your feelings must be affirmed. So even a psychologist, even a doctor cannot tell you that, hey, you are still too young. How about you leave out this confusion for a season? And then come back after six months. Let's examine you. Maybe you would have advanced the sophistication of your mind beyond this confusion. No, you need a gender affirming surgery to, to make permanent a temporary mental issue. So you will permanentize a temporary dysfunction. You will cut off things, you will inject yourself with testosterone, and then after a while you feel like you're in no man's land. You are not the man you wanted to be, and you're no longer the woman you used to be. Because even though you're a man, you are not manning the man well. The man is not manning. <laughs> the man is not manning. And the woman cannot woman again. That is what happens when a civilization begins to protect emotions over the future. Is it not interesting, actually, <laughs> that the most left-winged state in the United States has the highest consumption of welfare in the United States is connected. I'm sure you understand what the welfare system is like. Where you don't need to do any kind of work, but there is a government that supplies all your needs according to their foolishness and glory. And they will give you everything that you need. You don't have to work. You don't have to do anything. Don't put impute. The moment the scale tilts beyond 50%, then there is no sufficient structure to fund the dysfunction of the 51%. And they will continue to, and the rapid decline, that is 50, the more it gets to 51, the rate of diminishing returns will escalate. So how long it took them to get to 51% is going to be far shorter than how long it took to get them to erode the entire economy that is left. Because now the demand from those that are not contributing is higher than the supply from those that are contributing. You can't run an economy on eating. You run economies on sowing. You don't run economies on eating and consumption. And these are the tendencies of an entitlement spirit. It's a sociomental dysfunction. You don't notice it, but whenever you gratify your emotions, over and above the demands of your future, you are being entitled. You are saying, God will take care of me, even if I'm foolish with the seeds he gave me. God gave you seeds to protect your future. You eat up the seeds, both as bread and as seed, you eat it up. Then you expect a future that God will create without seed. Where do you want him to bring it from? Forever. As long as the earth remains. Seed. Time. Harvest will not cease. Yet, you conveniently discard all those powerful principles in his word. And you say, it's a lie. God is a miracle worker. Wow. You expect authorities to pander to your emotional preferences. You want authorities to protect your emotions and not your future. And this began when even parents don't have the right to, to, <laughs> to chide and rebuke their children. Where the emotion of a foolish child. The Bible says foolishness is the number one profile of every child. It says there is foolishness lodged in the heart of a child. And it takes strong rebuke and pankere to get it out. 
Yet you say, no, 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 we must protect our children. That's abusive. <laughs> what is more abusive is destroying their future. That is what is more abusive. Let them feel a microcosm of consequence. Let them feel that, see, this life, if you are foolish, you get immediate consequences. And let it be in the corridors of your house. Let it be somewhere where the consequence will not be more than just two lashes. So that they can learn to do proper research before they make decisions. So that they can understand principles and how life works before they jump. Before, because if they continue like that, they will go to spa and destroy TVs. And just be dropping, and then you would have to pay 2.4 million naira for the damages of your recalcitrant son that you have refused to restrain. Now, the, the consequence is more than your salary. <laughs> but Pankere would have dealt with it. Number four, you expect to have unfair advantages every time. You evoke the miracle working dimension of God on a daily basis. God must sort you out daily with miracles. You have not learned. In the promised land, manna does not come. And if you will not sow, you wouldn't have entered in the first place. You would have died in the wilderness. So if your mindset does not shift from manna to sowing, you don't enter. You don't. You just don't. Because God wants to create a system that can sustain his economy. He doesn't want to continue to afford people that will drain it. Eaters, eaters, cankerworms and caterpillars. A lot of times when you prophesy that prayer, you pray every cankerworm and you think they are demons. They are appetites. They are appetites that you have refused to bridle. Appetite for food, appetite for fun, appetite for pleasure, appetite for hedonistic tendencies, appetites that you have refused to bridle. Those are the cankerworms and the caterpillars and the palmerworms that have been eating all your harvest all these years. God has not been unfaithful with seed. You are the one that has been very, very foolish with how you have been handling the seed seasons. Instead of you to sow, you say, no, God is in the future. He's a miracle-working God. He will never stop to be a miracle-working God. And that is why you will always be at the begging side of life. God forbid none of us in this room. But we must find wisdom to secure ourselves against the advances of darkness of our lives. This is how he destroys economies and destroys people. He destroys them. He makes them so, so vulnerable to any invasion of darkness. And it's not a demon. It's just appetite that I've refused to be unbridled. And the last thing, number five, you get upset with capable people who are not willing to help you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? They will come and meet you that they need something. When you don't give them and you don't explain to them, you are wicked. Ah, my money. <laughs> that I worked for. I must give you. So that what? So if I don't give you, I'm wicked. So Andrew Mark said something. He said, some guy came to him and, and you see, they target you. <laughs> they know you're a church person. They know you have that emotional, empathetic side. But don't be foolish. Don't be. Don't fund dysfunction. God will not... See, God knows why he gave one to the one that did not have much productive sense. He knows. If he gave him all eight, they would all be buried. Do you think he would change his sophistication levels? You think he would change his mental capacity simply because he has one? 
And now if he's upgraded to eight, his mind will... Do you really think more gifts would have improved his thinking capacity? No matter the gift God gave that guy, he would have buried everything. How many would it have buried in consequence? He would have buried 10 plus 4. He would have buried 14. Do you understand? Just by giving him 8. Say, ah, I love you. Let me give you 8. He knew he had to reduce the risk factor to 1. So that whatever your foolishness produces, it won't be more than just 1 as a consequence. So he gave him 1. By the time we see all these explanations, we see why God gave him 1. Oh, oh, oh. Now why? He gets why. Right? This, this is why God could not afford to give you more than one. But that also talks to, about the benevolence of God. That even in your most dysfunctionally foolish state, God is still kind towards you. He still gives you at least one. There is nobody in this life that will look at himself, look around himself, and not find at least one thing to be grateful for. At least one thing to give. One thing to sow. One thing to trade. Not one person. That will think they have a case against God. That you didn't give me anything. You see, everybody, they are blessed. Me, I'm not blessed. Nobody would have that case. Not one. And so, you get upset when capable people are not willing to help you. So, this Andrew Mark, this guy comes to church because, I mean, church people are kind. They are nice. They are compassionate. They are sympathetic. And then, he said he wants to give. He wants to go to his grandmother's place. So his grandmother lost her life or something, or she's very terribly sick. Like he wants to just go and meet her, but he doesn't have money to go and meet her. So he needs money for train. He said, okay, wow. Okay, so um, if you work at the ministry tomorrow and you just help pack stuff, logistics and administration, we'll give you something, okay? All right, and then the next day he worked and all of that. So instead of Andrew giving him the money, he said, yeah, let's go to the train station. So Andrew went to the train station. He waited in line. He said, no, 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 just don't, don't stress yourself. Just give me the money. Let me just go. He said, no, no, I'm fine. I'm okay. It's all right. He waited online for the queue to get his point and then to pay for the... He said, you're going to your grandma. Where is the place? He got the ticket. As he was nearing the... He just, the guy just left. There was no grandmother. There was no grandma that was sick. There was just a guy that was going to take advantage of the benevolence of a person to fund his own lust. He's probably an addict that was looking for some spare money to fund his addiction. And this is the reality of several people that have refused to rise above entitlement mindsets. This is the reality. Someone did a, a, a study. Three, he said, they, <laughs> because they work with all these social workers in the United States. And he said, some of these beggars live in the best houses. He said, they make as much as $300 every day. $300 every day is $3,000 in 10 days. That's $9,000 in a month. $9,000 in a month. Don't ask your friend what's, what's their salary. Don't do it. Don't even. A beggar who has no contribution to the economy, he's making $9,000 a month. Then he will leave their fancy cars and houses, dress in tatters, go there, perform for you for the next 24 hours. And you are doling out things to people who are able-bodied. Refuse to walk, but pray on your vulnerabilities and sympathies. And this is not to say you don't give. This is not to say you don't give. The reason why we have the sowers is the eaters. In fact, the Bible talks about how if you planted a, you know, a, a farm back then in the Old Testament, you must not harvest everything on it. You only harvest the middle. Everything in, within the peri perimeters. Leave it unharvested so that anyone who is not 
buoyant enough. But you see, that system, that welfare system is a temporary gap. In fact, even in the United States, the objective of that welfare system is for those who may have lost their jobs so that they will not be stranded for a season. But some people have made it their destiny. So it's for a season. It's supposed to be a stop gap. That whilst you don't have, let there be some system that sorts your bill out. Because you are still a human being that deserves a second chance. So let us sort your, let's sustain your, your needs for a season. But by the time you make an infrastructure, a system, around a dysfunctional mindset of entitlement. Someone is capable to help and the person, by whatever reason they choose, refuse to, you begin to impugn their character. That is entitlement on steroids. You, you begin to say things about them that is not true simply because you believe they are capable. They will size you up. They will judge you by appearance. This one should have more than 500. Why are you giving me 500? Uh, so check your pocket again. <laughs> yeah, there's more. <laughs> hey, see this guy where they so into in life. <laughs> but that's the that's the mindset. So you have an uncle, he must give you a job. Why? You don't intend to give him any value in return, but he must. Ah, my blood, you won't give me job. You know, I learned this from Reverend Sam Adiemi. He said he, he sacked his sister. <laughs> he told us several years ago, they started Leadership Academy. He said there was something she was doing. He said after a few warnings, he sacked her. Maybe they even call family meeting on his head and all that, but he didn't care. See, you will ruin what God has given me to start. You won't, you won't ruin it. And this is one of the reasons why African companies never thrive beyond a certain number of years. Because they have filled all the potential power brokers' positions with family people. So instead of board meeting, it's family meeting. So all the board members are family members. Ah, is that, uh, come on, is it okay? Let's talk about the financials. But <laughs> bad job, I worry, I'm a sorted later. <laughs> okay, well done. For you know what's going on, they are eating into their cash flow, eating in. Amen. Entitlement mentality. Entitlement mentality. Hmm. Wow. So, I was talking about the mind. Because this is a socio-mental disorder, remember? It's a disease of the mind. And it puts you at the inferior position all the time. You believe everybody has, but you don't have. You believe everybody has an advantage, but you don't have an advantage. You believe that everybody should pander to your needs simply because you exist. Whether you contribute meaningfully or not, it shouldn't be what they are caring about. By the time somebody begins to care so much and too much, you begin to get offended. So I'll use Tosi as an example. Sorry I'm bringing you out, <laughs> but it's a good thing, by the way. So Tosi noticed a certain guy and see, I'm using this example so that we understand that they are bound around us. How you help people who cannot, who, who, who are in need, is to give them the capability to help themselves. The moment you have the appendage they rest on, you will forever be there. And if you try to leave, you will be the reason they fail. And it will still be your fault. It's a battle you can never win. You start off on that note, you continue to sustain that dysfunction. And the moment you, you say, I'm tired, you are the reason why they are not 
they're not healthy. You're the reason why they don't have money. They're the reason why their children are not going to school. You're the reason. Like, so, Dustin notices this guy who has this condition and he's just all by himself, always asking for money. And then he says, I, I want to help this guy. And his heart went out to him and he wanted to be a blessing. So he was asking him questions. Do you have family? Do you have someone that can help you? Let's say we even get you medical help right now. Is there a place you can go and live? Do you have family members? So the first few times, before I began to ask all those questions, he would give him money, give him clothes, get him, I think, aboniki and stuff. Just buy stuff for him, and he, would, he was running all those things by me. That was while I was still at um, Garrison 1.0. And I gave him the latitude. I said, go ahead and do all the things that God has placed in your heart to do for this guy, because we don't know. So he just went. He was doing all of those things. Then he felt that this guy should have gotten comfortable enough with him, because he's been giving him stuff. He's been giving him stuff. So now he's, it's time to get to be personal. So, guy, do you have family members? I don't know. And it gets defensive. The moment you begin to ask about family members, it gets defensive. Do you want to go to the hospital? He's not interested. Ah. Do you really want this leg to heal or you are just uninterested? And then you realize that that dysfunction was his capital. That was the guy's capital. The moment that leg heals, he no money again. The moment that thing is no longer there. He has no leverage to make money from unsuspecting passers-by. Because that must be publicized to evoke their empathy so that they can give. So the moment you heal him of that dysfunction or that condition, there is nothing he will leverage to get from people anymore. So he's not interested in giving away his capital. Because that's the source of his income. And then you want to help such a person. You're not realizing that you have just created a system to weaponize against yourself. And people who are at this level, they know it. They know what they are doing. I remember Pastor Aaron also sharing this particular story of a lady who came to their church. She needed something for her mom. I think her mom had just passed and so they, you know, they helped her, gave her money for the transport to the burial, gave her some money and all that. After a while, then her children, they didn't get school fees, then, you know, they gave some money, they even got her a place and all those things. After a while, then there was now something that they needed, so I think she gave birth again. Hmm. <laughs> you, see, you see your condition. You know, I said, this is the best time to increase and multiply and replenish the earth. So you give birth, and then because of that, she needed to attend to the child and nurse and all that. And so, um, so she needed some help with the other children. So she asked the church to get help for her. That was when Pastor said, ah, 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 ah. We did not know this was where you were carrying us to. <laughs> this boss is carrying us where we don't know. So this is where you are bringing, ah, ah. Do you know the moment that we drew help, she became a naysayer? All these people, they don't, they are not. They would have saved themselves all of that embarrassment if they had not started. You see, that's why you must be discerning. And so even in help, you must be discerning. Don't fund inefficiency. Don't fund dysfunction. Don't. God will not put one extra talent on that guy. He won't. Because this is how everything will go down the drain. So why should I risk one more? The day you change, you have one to trade with. If you don't change, we will not give you one more. That is the barest God will give you one at least. He won't give you with, he won't leave you without help. He will give you something at least. But he won't add one more. 
Because that one more is too much risk. Whatever happens to the one will happen to it. And if peradventure you hear someone like this and you change your mind, say, ah, I will stop having entitlement mentality. Let me go back to the one I buried. You will go and pick it up. At least you have one. So it sorts you out. The day you change, you have something to fall back on. And if you refuse to change, we will not fund that inefficiency by adding one more to you. So the first thing this guy shows that is that he has entitlement mentality. You are a hard man. Wow. You, 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 you are a hard, the man that gave you a job, he's a hard man. The man that ensures you have food on your table every day is a hard man. Because he's stretching your capacity for productivity. Because he's not receiving excuses from you. Because he's asking you to do more than you are supposed to, or more than is in your JD. He's, ask, he's demanding the best from you. He's a hard man. You have an entitlement mentality. And if a generation adopts this mindset, it's a sign they may not see the next. If a generation on a massive scale adopts this mindset, and that's why you begin to see all kinds of trends on TikTok. Silent quitting. Silent this one. Uh, And it is all about, I can't kill myself. That is the spirit of all of those trends. I cannot kill myself. Why would somebody be using me? Oh, you want to use someone? No, no, no. Which one would? Because there is no middle ground. And you're at least useful if someone is using you. It's a validation of your usefulness. Every time you go to work and you are needed, somebody needs me. Ah, I'm useful. That's the spirit. I'm useful. You cannot afford to be paid more than you are being useful. You cannot afford to be paid more. Because guess what? If everybody is collecting more salary in that organization that is paying all of us, more than we are contributing, it's just a matter of time. Bankruptcy is in view. It's just a matter of time because that thing does not have what to give you back from. It has nothing because everybody is taking, just eating from it every day, every month, every month. Every, if you are, if you must be contributing more than you are earning. It actually increases your negotiation power because now you want to live there like, ah, we must, and we still must not increase it above your contribution. But let that margin continue to increase. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Entitlement, and if, like I said, if a generation adopts this tendency or this mindset at scale, it's a sign they may never see the next. Everybody must do things for me because I'm the best thing. That's <laughs> <laughs> sliced bread. Because nobody is better than sliced bread. Nobody. Sliced bread. <laughs> Permit me to advertise Grand Square. Grand Square? <laughs> Nobody's better. The next dysfunction we see in the life of this steward is ignorance and pride. How do you begin to project your own dysfunction on the person that is least deserving of that evaluation? You say he is a hard man. You say he is the one that harvests where he did not sow. Ah. Ah. You, you say God is the, is the hard man that does not... Hey, you say God is a hypocrite. That's what you're saying. You say God does not abide by the principles he demands from us. That's what you're saying. So the seed he gave you, what is it? What you have that you are supposed to trade with? Who gave it to you? Why are you acting as if you have not received everything that you have? If you have 
searched about this your master, you would have known that that statement you uttered is the least truthful thing about him. That God harvests where he did not sow. Boy. God doesn't even need a harvest. But he continues to sow. Don't you understand? Your harvest does not increase his godness. But he has never stopped sowing. Then you look at that God and say, he survives on my harvest. You look at that master and you say, eh, if, and you see that's the challenge. You see ignorance and pride. They begin to exaggerate their relative contribution and importance. If I leave this place, you people, leave. You were not contributing much in the first place. So you are the one that is making the company breathe. He's you that is making the company breathe. And the man who is risking his house and mortgage literally his life to continue to source for the funding of that organization. You say, he just wants to use us. He's just using all of us. Let's start a union against him. He wants to use us to build his empire. If anything goes wrong with that company, you know it's just, you will write another application. But there is a man that may never have a house again. That he has used everything to fund the organization that is paying you. If only we will think about all the angles, we won't be too quick to judge. So he comes into the office, he's under pressure. The bank has just written to him. They're asking him to pay all the loans. And he's under, and then someone comes, I, I cannot type in, I cannot do Excel, but I will Excel in Jesus' name. <laughs> Some of you don't get that joke. But you, you will get it when you watch my hair. And then someone comes with that kind of excuse. And let's say you shout at... Yeah, that's not a justification for you to shout. Alright? Sir, it's not a good justification. <laughs> it's not a justification for you to shout. But let's say the boss now shouts and reacts. Don't you think it's at least justifiable? We are talking about weightier matters here. You say you cannot transcribe a table into a format... Can you get some help and stop disturbing me? But you, you can type, Abby. <laughs> you can type. You see, you die your resignation. Just go and type it. <laughs> can we celebrate the Maya crew again? <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. So when ignorance mixes with pride, ah, the concoction is terrible. You don't know. Yet, you exaggerate the little you know as all there is to know. Wow. Any proud person is ignorant. Bible says, see, anyone that contends with the words of Jesus Christ knows nothing and is proud. He is proud and knows nothing. One of the greatest indicators of pride is ignorance. And one of the evidences of ignorance is pride. When you see people that know, one of the first evidences in their lives is Patience. They're like, oh, I see. I see. They are so aware of the massive proportions of things they, told, they don't know yet. They, they are very aware. They are very aware. So whenever there is new information coming at them, they research. They are patient. They don't throw out all kinds of biases to defend ignorance. They, they continue to research. If you knew the first thing about your master, you would know that this is the least thing that is true about him. Why would you say such a thing? Just so that you can justify dysfunction and lack of productivity and fruitlessness. And that's the thing. When you don't have productivity, you will explain tire. No evidence. 
you will just begin to explain. You will look for everything. Say the way the guy looked at me the day I wanted to go and pay it into the bank. That was the thing that upset my mental health. And that was why I could, that was why I lost the money. Like, can you take responsibility? Have you seen people who complain about everything before? It's one of the most nauseating things. They complain about everything. Everything is not working. Everything. And you look at their lives. iPhone, iWatch, everything. Bone straight. <laughs> but they complain. Any small son, this son says, like, kilo, what do you want? <laughs> Take responsibility. Go on the side of life and put yourself to good use. Produce something out of your... Paul, by the time I was exiting this world, he said, my life is poured out like a drink. Before the, the year Dr. Mars Monroe died, he, he said it everywhere. I will die empty. He said it more that year than he had ever said it all through his career. Almost as though he saw something coming. I will die empty. He kept saying it. Die empty. I was at his last ministration here in Nigeria at Harvest House in Ibadan. Gave everything he had to this world. Till today, his voice is still a force. Even in death. So, you are not giving something to the world that is worthy of recognition. Yet, you feel that the world's job and JD is to fund your excesses. Entitlement. Ignorance and pride. And then the last thing as we begin to round off is fear. These three things, see, they will fund your corrupt mind. They will fund your dysfunctional thinking. And they will keep you fruitless. But I believe that's not the portion of any one of us here in this room. And this is why you are learning from this positive word. You see, we must be very careful how we relate to all these characters in scripture. Never respond to these characters with pride. Because without them, you would have been the example we are learning from. So, whenever you see something, when you see him in heaven, don't say, you safe, you safe. <laughs> say, you safe, eh? Is that how to behave? <laughs> you don't do that. You, you, you think about it. Say, ah, this could have been me. Lord, help me. And you thank God that at least we have such examples that went ahead of us so that we, through the comfort of scriptures, we can have hope. So when you see this posty word, what if we didn't have his example that we're learning from? We would have been using our own lives as experiments that others will not be learning from. So there is a good use to this poor guy. There's a good use. I celebrate you, my guy. I celebrate you. So that you will not be like him. You say, ah, thank God he had an example in scripture that was recorded. So we see anyone who is not producing at a high level. These are the dysfunctions that are sustaining that level of lack of productivity and fruitlessness. These are the dysfunctions. Entitlement, ignorance, and fear. These are the three things. So you see, he's able-bodied. But he's doing more, he's doing more, he's not producing more. He's doing a lot more, but he's not producing more. Check. Entitlement is somewhere. Ignorance is he's not reading enough. He's not getting knowledge enough. Because like I said, your mind is the bridge that segues your spirit into the natural realm. Oh, yeah. It's your mind. And it's so powerful what God has given us. He has given us his word. Because you see, you can read and understand the word of God with your mind. But this thing you are reading and understanding with your mind is spirit and life. So it's such a powerful thing that you are reading something that is actually spiritual in essence. If you allow that spiritual element of the word to wash you and Clean up all the debris in your mind. And all the things that are not consistent with the thinking patterns of God. You will see your light break forth as the morning. That's what the Bible teaches. 
your light will just break forth. The candle light did not increase. It was the shade that was cleaned. The shade was cleaned. You renewed your mind. You renewed your mind. The last thing is fear. He said I was afraid. So I went to hide it. You were afraid. Hmm. What were you afraid of? And you see a lot of distortion in his argument. He said, I'm afraid. So I went to hide it so that when you come, I will give you what belongs to you. But this thing that belongs to you is not yours because you only harvest other people's things. So there's a distortion in the argument. But it's okay. So you're afraid. You're afraid that if this hard man comes, he will punish you if you don't have what at least he gave you. Hmm. So the Holy Spirit told me and said, and this is a very powerful revelation, and I hope you find it powerful as well. He said, no matter how many things are taken from you, nobody touches what God gave you. Nobody. Nobody can. They, you say they use me and dump you. They, nobody can use you and remove what God has placed inside you. Not one. Not one. It does not matter how many times you've been taken advantage of. That thing God gave you is still there. Nothing touched it. Nothing. Nothing. Don't be afraid. Go again and do business. You lost the first money. Don't worry. What you used to do that first business is still inside. You may have lost the outcome, but you have the raw material. You have it. You have it. They may have taken advantage of your proceeds, but you have the source. You have it. Bible says the giftings and the calling of God are without repentance. No man can take what God has given you. No man. You only can bury it. Nobody can steal it. Nobody. You can bury your seed, but that a man came, broke through the garrison of the mighty God and took what God placed inside you. It does not exist. It doesn't. That God will put something inside of you and a man will say, I stole it. They may have stolen your coat of many colors, but what produced the coat? You have it. You do. You do. It doesn't matter what anybody does to you. Go back. Dust that gift. Use it again. So you have an irreducible minimum of a gift that no man can touch. Nobody can touch it. So no matter how many times you have produced with it and it didn't look like it produced, the seed of greatness is still there. So by the time you understand what, I'm about, what I just shared with you, you would realize that there is no basis for fear. He was afraid he could lose what he could never lose. You can't lose it. If God gave you, you can't lose it. So his fear was that if I go and do business, I could lose it. And if I lose it, this man is a hard man. When he comes back for our reckoning and accounting, I will not have what to give to him. So I could lose it. So because of that fear, he didn't trade with it. And guess what he did? He lost twice. So he lost when he buried and he lost after the accountability when they took that which he had. So my point is, there is no basis for fear because that which God has given you, you can't lose it. So if you ever feel afraid that what, because this is one of the reasons why people never rise. What if it does not work? Okay, so let's answer that question. What if it doesn't work? 
you tried it the first time because you have you. You can try. When it fails, you still have you. You can still try again. So why are you afraid to try again? If we stay here, one thing is sure, we will die. The leper said, but if we move, we may die, but we just might not die. But if we stay here, we will. If you bury it, you have lost it. And if you lose it the first time, you lose it the second time. Don't bury what you have. So when he buried it, he lost it. He couldn't do business with it. So he lost it at that moment. And by the time the master came and asked for reckoning, he lost it again. Double jeopardy. He lost it twice. So what was his fear, really? How about you just go out? It takes more to multiply five than to multiply one. What are you afraid of? He was too proud and arrogant to even ask those that multiplied theirs. How did you do it? You have two, you have five. Now one I get. Make I even be your agent. <laughs> Let me just... It was so easy to multiply one. Yet he didn't even try it. Because he was afraid. You can cook. But what if people don't like the taste? What if they like it? And if they don't like it, you can now know how not to make them not like it. At least one way that they don't like. And then you can iterate and grow. And they might like the second type. And then we can start a business from there. What if they do? And what if they don't? You are learning. Either ways, you can't fail for succeeding. Because you will succeed. Eventually. Thomas Edison is popular. I don't know whether I did it a thousand times. Because that would have been too funny. A thousand times. It's too rounded, the figure. <laughs> but we've heard it so many times. He tried it now, now 99 times. He did not get it. Then the one thousandth time. That's in there. Abba now. Why? 999. Then God was waiting, waiting. Ah, he's about to hit 100. He's about to hit 1,000. Then that 1,000 that came in. Now God said, yeah. That's it. Bobo enter inside. <laughs> Small Bobo day there. But, but we get the gist that he tried multiple times. <laughs> and every time he tried it that it didn't work, he learned one extra way that the light bulb doesn't work. And that is useful information. So even your failure is useful. What this should do is that it makes you eliminate fear totally because the fear of failure is a cage. You can't move beyond your projection of your outcome. Hmm. Hmm. That is, if you think you might fail, you will stay put. And that's the only possibility you are thinking about. The only direction of an outcome you are thinking about is the failure outcome. And we are very failure averse in this part of the world. We are very failure averse. A man will rather not lose his money than gain more money. So we're very failure averse, loss averse. It's called loss aversion. So we, we don't like to lose things. So the motivation to keep what you have is higher than the motivation to make more. Mm. And that's why those who make it at the very highest level, many of them, are very, they have large risk appetite. They're not afraid to lose money. So they make a lot of it. You that you're afraid to lose the small change you have. You don't make so much of the money. That's the problem. Why are you afraid? The raw material that can help you gather everything you now have and multiply it by 10, you still have it. 
You can never lose that. It's the gift of God. It's the calling of God. It is without repentance. Nobody can touch it. So what's your fear? If you attempted to make it work, it didn't work, you have learned. If it worked, then you have still learned that it has worked. The market has accepted it. Let me iterate. Let me increase. Let me deploy. Praise the name of the Lord. And so, there is a lot to learn from the poor steward. The steward that did not produce anything. There's a lot to learn from him. Because God showed us through that parable how fruitlessness works. There is an engineering around fruitlessness. There is a psychology of poverty. There is a psychology to it. So rather than increase the work of your hands, how about you increase the volume of knowledge in your mind? And then it would enhance and optimize the quality of the work of your hands. It does not matter the profession. If you find a man who has a superior thinking to everybody in the industry, it will show. Even if it's carpentry. Even if it's plumbing. The quality of his thinking will enhance the quality of his delivery. Because your hands only follow the direction of your mind. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So the title of my teaching this morning is Grow Up. Just grow up. Tell your neighbor, grow up. Grow up. Because everything you see in those dysfunctions is consistent with children. Entitled? Ah, children are very entitled. My man never sleep. Amen. You can't explain to them. They can't understand. They want their breast milk now. Entitlement, ignorance, and fear. Grow up. When I was a child, I thought as a child. I speak as a child. I understood as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Put away childish things. So put away childish things. And Lord, help our hearts in Jesus' name. Can we pray or bow our heads and just pray and trust God for grace? The Lord, we don't want to be like the steward that the master calls wicked and slothful. Bible calls him wicked and slothful. We refuse to be like that. We refuse. We refuse. Help our hearts. Help us not to be afraid. What are we afraid of? Failure? (laughs) Failure is only a feedback. It's not fatal. Failure is only a feedback. It's not fatal. It shows you there is one way less to go. One way less to go. Ah, yeah, yeah. Help our hearts. Give us the right knowledge. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Help our hearts. Give us the right boldness, encouragement to do, take responsibility, to be proactive, to produce something, to give back to our world, to die empty. Give us the grace. Give us the grace. Give us the grace. For in Jesus' precious name, we have prayed. Can we jam our hands together for Jesus? What a word. For more messages, connect with our tribesmen across all social media platforms at Powerpoint Tribe.